Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in God's presence this morning, isn't it? What a privilege it is to be able to worship the Lord uh, together and to read his word uh, this morning. In June 1979, a 26-year-old amateur cyclist called Brian Allen made aviation history. Taking off from England, he flew his pedal-powered plane called the Gossamer Albatross across the English Channel. The flight took nearly three hours, achieved a top speed of 29 kilometres an hour, and an average altitude of just one and a half metres off the ground. Finally, he landed exhausted on the coast of France. It was an amazing achievement, and it won him the Kramer Prize of £100,000. But it's never going to be a practical way of travelling, is it? In, in, interestingly, Brian went on to work at NASA, in the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California, working in the area of Mars exploration. Human-powered flight can just about get you across the English Channel. But it's never going to get you to Mars. For that, you need more power. And it's similar in our Christian lives as well, isn't it? We can put everything that we have into living for Christ. But if we rely on our own power, we're never going to get very far off the ground. We'll always be close to failure. And we'll eventually end up in a heap exhausted. Human-powered living will only get us so far. But what we need is more power. And the great news is, this power is available to each one of us. This morning is Pentecost Sunday. It's a day we remember that day when the, the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And it is his presence that can transform us and empower us to live the life that God has designed for us. We're going to read from Galatians chapter 5, just as we work on the little part point. Uh, from verse 16 down to verse 25. So if you just like to, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. If not, just listen on as I read it to you together. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul gives us here a description of the kind of life that God wants for us. But this description doesn't focus so much on the things that we do, where we go, the church services we attend, the ministry we're involved in. Instead it focuses right on our character. The internal qualities that should be revealed in our lives. That's because who we are on the inside is more important than what we do on the outside. Of course, we can all behave a certain way on the outside. We can all conform to a standard for some time. But God is looking for something deeper in us. He wants us, he wants what we do on the outside to be a reflection of who we are on the inside. So what is this life that God has planned for each one of us? Well, it's a life of love. Love for God. First and foremost, of course, but love for the other people as well. In an unselfish, unconditional, unlimited, unending way. It's also joy. Joy that is sometimes expressed in excitement and celebration but also a joy that runs deep, even in the difficult times. It's peace, an inner tranquility, a harmony that even the most violent storms of life can't destroy. It's also patience. Being able to cope with, with difficult circumstances and difficult people without resorting to anger or retaliation. It's kindness. A sympathetic and caring attitude as we see the needs of others and compassionately responding and helping in any way that we can. It's also goodness. A moral uprightness which rejects evil and is committed to do what is right, what is good. Even when it costs us. Even when we are the only one. It's also faithfulness. Being trustworthy. Being reliable in all of our relationships. Including especially our relationship with God. It's also gentleness. Being sensitive in how we speak to others. Speaking the truth with love and grace. Because we respect, because we value them. And it's also self-control. Resisting the pressures of this world. Of Satan. Of our own nature. And choosing what is to do what is in accordance with God's will. This is God's plan for our lives. For all of our lives, 
Whatever our personality, whatever our circumstances, whatever our experiences or our background, this is how God wants us to live. And that's because it's who Jesus is. In Jesus we see all of these characteristics perfectly expressed. And God's will is nothing less than we would be conformed the likeness of his son. And that's how we ultimately glorify God. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this is God's plan for our lives. This is the standard that he is looking for in our lives. But of course, if we're being honest, we have a huge problem here, don't we? In our lives, there's a force that's pulling us in the opposite direction. Verse 17 says this, The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. That sinful nature is a human nature that is infected by sin and rebels against God's position and God's plan for us. To make this point really clear, Paul gives us an ugly catalogue of the kinds of things that our sinful nature leads us to do. So it includes sexual sin, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Many people today say it doesn't matter what what consenting adults do. But God says that sexuality is a precious gift that was given between husband and wife. And any deviation from that is wrong. And there's also religious sins. Idolatry and witchcraft. That's because only the one true and living God is worthy of our worship. And we should depend on Him and Him alone for the power and the protection that we need. Then there are social sins. The things that destroy our relationships with each other. Hatred, discord. Jealousy, fits of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. All those things that mess up our relationships with each other. And finally, there are sins connected with alcohol abuse, the, the wild living that's associated with it. Drunkenness and orgies. It's a terrible list of the depravity of human beings. And unfortunately, the list could just go on and on and on. But Paul says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let's be clear, this is not a warning to those who sometimes struggle with this sin. Or who sometimes fall into it. Because none of us here are perfect. I know you all look good this morning. Yeah, you all cleaned up well. But none of us are perfect. Rather, this is a sober warning to those who continue to live this way. That in the end, they 
will suffer the consequences of that, that way. They will be forever lost outside of God's kingdom. That's because living continually this way gives evidence that somebody doesn't belong to Christ. Sin separates us from God. Not just some sins. If you read down through that list, you say, oh yeah, of course that's sin, of course that's sin. But all of those sins, even the ones that we kind of paper over, the ones that we kind of think are, are not too bad, all of them separate us from God. And so if we are in that situation of living in those sins, if we recognize ourselves in this list, and we need that forgiveness that can only come through putting our trust in Jesus and his death on the cross as we've remembered in our beautiful time of communion. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness. Jesus suffered so that we could be forgiven. He died so that we could live. So if we are living in those sins, we need to heed this warning. And we need to turn to Jesus and trust in Him. And then, no matter what we have been guilty of in the past, we can know that we've been forgiven. We've been washed clean. That we've been adopted into God's family. But then what? If we're trusted in Jesus, and I'm sure many of us have, who are here this morning, does that mean that we don't have a problem with that sinful nature anymore? Does that mean that we just automatically live out God's plan for our lives? Wouldn't that be nice, eh? But it's not true. When we trust in Jesus, we're born into God's family. With a new nature, with new attitudes and desires and passions. But we still have that old sinful nature. And that sinful nature does not want to submit to God's rule. They are in conflict with each other, verse 17 says. There's a a battle going on inside each of us as Christians. As our old nature battles against God's plan in our lives. That's the reason why, when we depend on ourselves, we often do the wrong thing, don't we? Can you relate to this verse, verse 17? You do not do what you want. You ever found that? All the stuff you don't want to do, you end up doing. All the good stuff that you want to do, you often don't. We're just pulled in those two directions. And we often react in situations in ways that we just don't want to. We can overcome that sinful nature on our own. When we try we just end up in frustration and fear. So how can we overcome our sinful nature and live as God has planned? Well, the false teachers in Galatia 
the ones that Paul was raging against, they thought they had the answer. What people needed was a stricter adherence to the Old Testament law. You need to apply its rules and regulations. Along with all the, the condemnation and guilt and fear that often goes along with that. But Paul reminds us here that if we trusted in Jesus, you are not under law. You're no longer under the supervision or the control of the law. Yes, the life that God wants for us is consistent with God's moral law. God's law that says that we should love God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and we should love our neighbour as ourselves. God's plan doesn't contradict that. Against such things there is no law, Paul says after he's listed God's plan for us to live a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But to go back to the Old Testament law, to try and make ourselves right with God, or to try and enable us to live out this life for God, that would be to walk back into slavery. And possibly even more seriously, that would be to become alienated from Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5 and 4. If we go back to the Old Testament law and try and impose those rules on us to try and get us to live out this life for God, then we would be devaluing Christ's work. We would be rejecting his way. We would be turning our backs on his grace. It wouldn't work. It would be futile because laws can't make us right with God. And they're powerless to change our hearts. So they can't bring about this, this deeper life that God is looking for. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, such regulations have the appearance of wisdom. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Strict rules don't change our hearts. In fact, sometimes they do the opposite, don't they? They stir up that wrong desire. You ever seen a keep off the grass sign? You just want to walk across that grass. Don't touch wet paint. What does everybody do? Really? The laws stir up that desire to go against exactly what the law says. So we need a different solution. Not stricter laws. Not going around pointing the finger at everybody else. But we need something different. Famous preacher, D.L. Moody, he illustrated this with a, with a glass. He held it up and he asked the audience, Tell me, how can I get all of the air out of that glass? Well, one, one man shouted out, you can suck it out with a pump. But Moody replied, well, that would create a vacuum and that would shatter the glass. So they, they, they came up with other impossible suggestions. But then Moody picked up a jug of water. And he filled the glass. 
Then he says, all the air is now out of the glass. His point was that we don't live out this life for Christ by trying to suck out all of our sins with the law. Rather it is by being filled. By being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what verse 16 says. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives the moment that we put our trust in Jesus. He is the gift of God's grace to cleanse us from sin, to adopt us into God's family, to set us apart, to belong in God's kingdom. But then he also does the work of transforming our hearts and our lives, to overcoming our sinful nature and enabling us to live to please God. This is why this this love, this life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is not something described here as we need to work on to produce in ourselves. It's not something that we can gain through our own efforts. It is, of course, the fruit of the Spirit. It is the proof of the Holy Spirit's presence in us. It's the evidence of His grace. It's the consequence of His life. It is the result of His power. So this fruit doesn't save us. But it's the verification that we are saved. It's the evidence that says that we belong to Christ. God is at work in us. Of course, like fruit, we don't see this instantly. It takes time to develop. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. So we can't produce this fruit our own efforts, through our determination, through our commitment, through laws or rules or regulations or, or having a kind of guilt-ridden atmosphere or culture within our churches. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to enable us, empower us to live out this brand new life. But that doesn't mean that we should just sit back passively and wait for it to happen. This is not a a, a let go and let God thing. We have a responsibility here. Two little things here. We need to live a life of repentance. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Crucifixion was a certain death. When someone was crucified, they were going to die. And when we trusted in Jesus, we crucified our sinful nature. We turned our back once and for all 
on our old nature with its sinful passions and desires. We put it to death. We repented of it. But crucifixion was also a lingering death. It took time for somebody to die. So in our lives, our sinful nature lingers on. And we need to each day leave him on the cross to die. Each day we need to renew that attitude to ruthlessly and sometimes painfully turn away from it and live out this life of repentance. Isn't this what Jesus called us to? If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Without that life of repentance each day. But we're not just called to die to self. Our second responsibility is that we need a life of relationship. We're called to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He takes the initiative in leading us and guiding us. And He does this by pointing us to Jesus. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 16. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. So the work of the Holy Spirit is always to lead us to Jesus. To teach us the truth of Jesus. To help us to follow Jesus. To bring glory to Jesus. But that doesn't mean we just sit back and allow him, let him do that. We don't just wait passively for him to do that. Instead, verse 25, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to actively, purposefully, intentionally walk in line with his will. Follow his obedience, or his leading, and obey his direction. This is about relationship. Allowing the Holy Spirit to impact every aspect of our lives. To, to fill our hearts and our minds, our thoughts and attitudes as he leads us to Christ. And he does this through helping us to study his word, to spend time with God in prayer, to seek to honour him in worship as we've done this morning, to serve each other in fellowship and to speak out the gospel in evangelism. This is how we live that fruitful life. Not by stricter rules or regulations, but instead by following the Spirit. And He leads us into a deeper, more loving relationship with Christ. As Jesus said in John 15, If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will be a much friend. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In 1921, Lewis Laws, 
became the warden of a notoriously tough and brutal Sing Sing prison. But when he retired 20 years later, it had been transformed into a much more humanitarian institution. But Lewis, the warden, he didn't take the credit for this. Instead, he said that this was all due to his wife, Catherine. She was a young mum with three small kids. And everybody warned her not to enter into this prison. They said it wouldn't be safe. But she didn't listen. When the first prison basketball game was held, she walked into the gym with her three small children, walked up into the stands and sat down beside the inmates. Her attitude was, my husband and I are going to take care of these men and I believe that they will take care of me too. One convicted murderer was blind, so she, she taught him braille. Another couldn't hear or speak, so she learned sign language so that she could communicate with them. Then in 1937, she was killed in a car accident. Two days later, her body was in a casket about three quarters of a mile from, her, from the, the prison. As the acting warden took, took his morning walk, he was shocked to see a large crowd of inmates gathered around at the main gate. As he came closer, he, he, he saw tears of grief in their eyes. All right, then, you can go. Just be sure and check in tonight. And he opened the gate, and the men walked without a guard, the three quarters of a mile, to stand in line to pay their respects to Catherine. And everyone checked in afterwards. This remarkable woman transformed that prison. Not through stricter rules, not through more painful punishments, not through guilt or fear, but from the inside out. She changed it by her presence. That's God's plan for us. That's his plan to deal with our problem in our hearts. The problem of our sinful nature. Not through imposing stricter rules or regulations. Not by threatening punishment on us. But through transforming us from the inside out. And producing the fruit of his life in us. So let's accept our responsibility in this process. Let's daily turn from our sin and turn to Jesus so that we can experience the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much. Thank you that you haven't just left us to try and live out your plan for our lives on our own strength. Thank you that we don't need to we don't need to battle and struggle just in our own commitment and our own determination. Thank you that we don't need to end up in a heap exhausted in a in failure. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to empower us 
to to change us, to transform us with His presence, so that we can increasingly be transformed into the likeness of Your Son. Father, we just pray that You'll help us to daily to repent of our sin, to turn away from living the way that our sinful nature wants us to, and turning to Christ and allowing your spirit to lead us to him and make us more like him. In Jesus' name we pray.